Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Ed. How cool for you to bring your dad and do that. What a, a neat, neat thing. Um, it, it's, I can tell this is going to be an emotional day, at least for me. I don't know about you. Um, happy Father's Day, first off, to all you dads out there. Um, grateful for you. Uh, you know, being a father has probably been the greatest experience I have had in learning about God uh, in my life. It was becoming a father that taught me a lot about the heart of God in ways that I never understood before. Not that you can't, but it took that for me. And so it's something that I am grateful for. Um, I know that there are some of us, myself, included who have not had fathers. Uh, Really, there are some of us who have lost fathers or are estranged from our fathers. There are some who have been abused by fathers. There's a lot that comes along with that title. And we are aware of those things. And so Happy Father's Day can be mixed depending on your history and your experience. But for you dads out there, Happy Father's Day. You are important, and may you continue to enjoy uh, being a father. I think one of the things I look back on, I I wish I would have just enjoyed being a father instead of feeling I had to uh, do things the right way, especially with my older boys. There was this feeling of, I have to raise the perfect kids, which I don't know why I would think I was anyone qualified to do something like that. Um, but anyway, it, enjoy being a father and I hope you have a happy father's day. I also want to wish my daughter a happy birthday. Today is her birthday and we've had to share this day a few times and I'm happy to give it over to her. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've been just wrestling with in, in putting together these times of conversation that I want to have with you is what to talk about. You know, it's like, well, is it time to just pick a book of the Bible and start going through the book of the Bible when it seems like every week something happens, you know, there's a comet coming to earth or something, or I heard there's like dust coming from Africa now or something. I mean, who knows what's going to be happening. And it just seems that everything's pulling me to a different conversation. And, you know, my daughter was supposed to be married 
two months ago. Uh, I'm actually was supposed to be in Hawaii today celebrating with Gabe and Annette their wedding, which didn't happen. My daughter's wedding was rescheduled to July, and now they are having to reschedule it again. And so I'm heartbroken for them. These are the two people who have prepared more than anyone I know. They were ready to get married like in January, right? Who does that? Who's ready months ahead of your time to get ready? These people had everything set to get married, and then it just shows you, you, you can't prepare for life fully. Life happens, and we have to kind of move with it. And so that's kind of what we're doing here. We're kind of moving with life as it happens. Uh, Last week, I talked about maybe uh, meeting again in July or the end of June. I am going to be having a meeting tomorrow with the leadership, a Zoom meeting. Boy, don't you just love those. Um, To talk about when we can meet. We've got some information from our church insurance company that gave us some guidelines to follow. And basically, if we follow these guidelines, there can be like 10 of us in the church, right? I mean, it's like, okay, how do we do this? And and so we're going to be talking about what we can do, if we can do anything. And and so I hope you guys will be patient. I, I hope that like me, you're having to lean into this with open ears to hear what God is maybe speaking to us at this time, with open eyes to see what God is doing at this time, with a, an open heart to know what God is wanting to do and wanting to change in me, right? Because this isn't just about what we do for others, it's about what has to happen inside of us. And so... I pray that we would all grow at this time in powerful ways. I I pray that we would move through this and become closer to God and in turn closer to each other, even though we're having to be distant from each other. I I think that can happen. I believe that can happen. And it's a little bit of what I'm going to be talking about today. I was going to try and do this in in one talk, but as I started going through it, it it just, there was too much here that I really want to present. So I am going to finish this talk next week, but hopefully give us something to chew on right now that we can wrestle with and, and think about as we live our lives forward. I want to talk to us about the centrality of Jesus. What's amazing too is... You know, Brian, I haven't heard that song, Heart of Worship, in so long, but it, it's so apropos. I don't know. I was thinking of a better word than apropos, but apropos is the only one that came. Sounds so fancy. It, it, it's so perfect for what I'm going to be talking about, the centrality of Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. And what does that mean? How does that filter the way we look at scripture, the way we look at our world. And I'm so thankful for our community. I'm so thankful that while I'm scatterbrained and trying to put things together and get here and I'm wrestling with my thoughts and and how I want to say things and then to have you and your dad sing a song that just says, it's okay. I got this. It's all right. 
And I can't tell you how much you, the people of Genesis, have ministered to me, how much you mean to me, how much I miss you, how much I miss gathering together, how much I miss your input into my life. I, I crave that. And I look forward to that time when we can have that again. But in the meantime, where are we and what can we do? Uh, in Matthew chapter 21, I want to start with a, a parable that Jesus talks about of a landowner. In Matthew 21, verse 33, Jesus says, Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent the servants more than the first and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to him themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, that will, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretched and miserable, those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their season. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. Jesus is giving a story about the importance he plays into this story of life. The, the story is definitely something that they can relate to in Israel where he was going to be persecuted, sent to a cross and die. But the whole point of the story is the last person that the father could send, and it would be the last person that the father sent was his son. And, and so he talks about being the, the chief cornerstone. He, he is very central to what's going on. He is what is going to be built upon. And he says, it's marvelous in our sight. The author of Hebrews kind of picks this up in chapter one, when he says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, oh yeah, you have all these voices from the past, but here is the voice that you are to hear. Remember in the transfiguration story where the disciples, Peter, James, and John are with Jesus, and then they have this moment where they see Elijah, they see Moses, and Peter, you know, in his splendor says, let us build, you know, a place of worship for each of you. And then here's the voice. This is my beloved son. Hear him and the others disappear. There is this constant pointing to Jesus, his importance, who he is, how important his voice is for us to hear. And when I say his voice, I don't mean just his words. I mean his life, his character, how he lived 
and how we understand that. Jesus and the writer of Hebrews seem to be saying that people have thought about what God is doing in various ways. Now he is doing clearly something through Jesus himself. In fact, the New Testament insists that we put Jesus at the center of the picture and our outward, everything, our world goes outward from there. He is there and we build our life outward. So then I'm thinking, where or how do we see God in our current state of affairs today? How do we move outward from this place and where we are? The, the news has not been good. The, the information I got from our uh, insurance hasn't been good or helpful as far as things getting better. It seems to be escalating which some aren't surprised, some are definitely exhausting for so many of us. But the question often comes up, why is this happening, right? Where is God in this state of affairs? Is he sovereign? Is he responsible? Is he impotent? Does he care? Right? Why is this happening? Why would God allow this kind of pandemic? And we're always asking why. Why? Why didn't God do something to stop it? Why didn't God allow us to, you know, have our wedding? Why didn't God allow our business to start only to fail? Why didn't God do something to stop this? Why did some of you may know people who have contracted COVID, some who have maybe even died. So many stories, so many people who have lost jobs, so many people who have lost loved ones and family. And the question why is something that always comes up. And it's not an uncommon question. In John chapter nine, the disciples also had that question. In John chapter nine, verse one, it says, as he passed by, he again, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, why is he blind? Was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Crazy story. Notice that Jesus doesn't really answer their question with something affirmative, right? He, he doesn't look back at a hypothetical cause which enables those people who are asking the questions, the onlookers, maybe to feel smug that they understand some inner cosmic morality, right? Oh, we know why bad things happen is because there's some sin that God has to punish. And instead, what Jesus says, he, he says, it's not about what has happened. He says, this is happening so that God can do something. He actually looks forward to what can be done and then does it by bringing healing. And I think that 
translates directly to what Jesus is doing now. Instead of looking about why, what, what's going on, let's look at what is God doing and how can we be a part of the healing? Like people have blamed the blind man, but he isn't going to blame anyone. Jesus isn't playing the blame game. And, and blame is different than inquiry, right? In- inquiry is wanting to get information. There's nothing wrong with inquiry, but blame is wanting to pass judgment. It's kind of this place where we feel better if we are able to have someone else to blame, right? We know this from kids. We know this where if I can blame someone else, then it's not my fault, right? That's why if you only have one kid, you don't know the conflict when something is broken, Right? If something is broken, it's one kid. It's like, hey, Johnny, you broke this. And, you know, he'll still deny it and say it was the dog or something. But if you have two kids, you will never know who broke it, right? You will know who broke this. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Okay. This blame is part of our way of not taking responsibility or action in a circumstance. It's our way of absolving ourselves so that we feel better in spite of what is happening around us. We live in a world of blame, right? The U.S. is blaming China. China is accusing the U.S., right? We've got so many people. We have fundamentalists who are blaming the World Health Organization. There are some conspiracy people who are blaming Bill Gates, right? There's liberals who are blaming corporate moguls who are manipulating all this so that some, you know, vaccine can be made and they can make millions of dollars. When crisis happens, we want to blame. Make no mistake, the Republicans are blaming the Democrats and the Democrats are blaming the Republicans. It's what we do. He did it, right? It absolves me of my responsibility now and it allows me to have some feeling of over and then I feel better about myself, but we haven't changed anything. When this crisis happens, we don't see Jesus looking back, asking why. We see him looking forward at what needs to be done. And when terrible things happen like a pandemic or illness or disaster of any kind, we want to know why. And I think it's because we want to put the blame somewhere to make ourselves feel better. Why would God allow this? Is it because of some sin in humanity, and I should stop listening to some people, right? I, I should, I should, I, I know I'm going to listen to people and get angry, and I wonder if I do that on purpose. I want to do that just so I can get kind of fired up. I'll hear someone preaching, and it'll bother me when I hear them say something, and I just like, oh, that's so wrong, and I and I start getting angry because we start seeing this blame happen, right? How many times have we heard Second Chronicles 
chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Yes, Lord, we, we want to acknowledge our wicked ways and have you heal our land. Remember, we don't look to Second Chronicles for the meaning of what's happening. We look to Jesus for not only meaning, but what we are supposed to do. Right? And whenever I hear this scripture, almost always, no, always, it, it comes out that someone says, well, it's because of abortion, right? It's because the United States has passed this you know, law back in the 70s that abortion was legal, and that's why we have calamity all over the world, apparently, right? So what happens here on the bills that we pass in the United States are affecting the whole world. Never mind that there's fewer abortions taking place now than there has been ever since 1972. That doesn't matter. It's just a reason to put blame. It's a way that we can feel better ourselves, right? And there's always this typical things. It's going to be abortion. It's going to be homosexuality. Notice it's never war or violence or racism. Those aren't the reasons. It's these things that we pick and we choose to make the reason why this is happening. We can put the blame somewhere. We feel better about ourselves. And now we're seeking, Lord, Lord, forgive those people who are doing those things so you can heal our land. And the whole point is, if we can get them to just stop doing those things, then we could have a healthy land again. That's exactly what the Jews thought. If we could just repent of our sins, we could be free from Rome. And they missed the mark. They missed the point. And Jesus comes in and brings clarity. Now, we get another instance of this blame game in John chapter 11 with the story of Lazarus. And I don't want to go into the whole story. You guys are probably familiar with it. Where Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick, but he doesn't go immediately. He waits. And then Lazarus dies. And then when Jesus starts heading there to go, the disciples are saying, why are we going now? You know, he's dead. What's the point? We're going to go towards Jerusalem. It's going to be persecution. And as they're moving towards the grave and towards the family, Martha comes to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then he gets closer and Mary comes out and says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. In verse 37, even the crowd said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus healed other people without having to go there. Why didn't he do this? Why? How does Jesus respond? Right? With the blind man, Jesus doesn't look back, but moves forward, touches him and brings healing. And so how is Jesus going to engage with Martha, Mary, and this critical crowd? What would he say to them about why? He doesn't turn the tables on them. He doesn't put condemnation on them. He he doesn't suggest that it's because they didn't pray hard enough. It's not because they were sinful and ought to have repented, what does he do? He weeps. And then 
with the authority that is born out of the mixture of tears and the trust in God, he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb. If there is a word for our present situation, facing not only the pandemic, but also the racial tension and consequences of of social things that are happening in our cultural upheaval, I think this might be the word, that he enters it with tears and care and moves forward to bring healing. It doesn't start with a condemnation. It doesn't start with a justification. It starts with weeping. That's how Jesus answers the question, why? With tears and then with care. In both instances, he's trusted his father and is looking ahead to see what now needs to happen. And the way to that goal is through tears. He raises Lazarus back from the dead, but first he weeps. The God who John has told us about became incarnate. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. He is the word made flesh. He is God who weeps at the tomb of a friend. That could be the clue of, of a great deal of wisdom that we could use right now. That the way God moves forward is first with compassion and care. First, we've learned how Jesus redefines what it means to say that God is in control. If God is in control, it's not a matter of why this happened. It's not a matter of bringing judgment on what has happened. It's a matter about caring what is happening and stepping into that. We like to split things apart. We, we like for convenience sake to talk about the providence of God, right? The providence of God is control over everything that happens. And then Jesus is dying because we are sinful and that's why some of the things happen. And we kind of split the room in those two things. But this habit of mind has become so ingrained, I think, that I hear and read that this pandemic is either God's way of leading us to great revival or it's God's way of bringing great judgment. That's what I keep hearing. I keep seeing these things. Oh, it's God's way. Oh, revival's gonna happen. Why? Because there's this great pandemic. Everyone's afraid and God is using this to bring people to an awareness. Now, people might come to awareness and it might even be for those reasons, but is that what God is doing? And again, isn't Jesus our example the son in the parable and in the Hebrews telling us that Jesus is central to that. And we see this attitude take hold of the early church where they don't look at who to blame. They don't try and look back and say why this is happening. They see what is happening and they step into it. And that takes place in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, we have Barnabas reaching out to find Saul, who is now Paul, and to have him be a part of the work that he's doing, going and bringing the the good news message of Jesus to the world around him. And in chapter 11, verse 27, as this is happening, it says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. 
This happened during the reign of Claudius. Now, here is someone coming saying, this is going to happen. A severe famine is going to come over Rome. What was their response? Well, you know why those Romans, they worship all those pagan gods. Look what they've done to, to God's people, the Jews. Look at what they've done to be so cruel to all these other nations. God is going to use this to bring them. No, they don't say that. Verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. It wasn't God's judgment on those pagans. It wasn't this is happening so they can repent and accept Jesus so they can now go to heaven. They asked three simple questions. Who is going to be at risk when this happens? Who can, what can we do to help and who will we send? There was no looking back trying to fix these things. It was only looking forward at what they could do and how they would move forward in these things. It was their desire to move forward and not backwards. here we come across one of the great principles in the kingdom of God, the principle that God's kingdom that's been inaugurated through Jesus is all about restoring creation the way it was meant to be. God always wanted to work in his world through loyal human beings. This is just part of the point being made in God's image. Remember, God from the beginning told man that he was to till the ground, take care of it. So just as when in John 9, Jesus says that the work of God are going to be revealed in this man who was born blind, and then he goes on to do the work himself, we can imagine the Antioch church figuring out prayerfully what God was doing, not why there was going to be a famine occurring, but what was to be done to help a totally different perspective, a totally different thought process. It wasn't the blame game. It wasn't trying to get all the information so we can know where we fit into it. It was seeing a need and stepping into the need that was there. Why? Because that's what God is doing. Realizing that what God was doing is what he was going to do through them. It can escape us if we don't realize the importance of this passage. Something's happening in this passage here that you can read over and just pass on that is astounding. Never before in world history had a multicultural group of people, these Gentiles who came from different parts of the world, felt under a fraternal obligation. They felt it was their job to help this monoculture group the Jewish people in Jerusalem, right? You've got the the Gentiles, this varied group of people in Antioch seeing this monocultural people in Jerusalem, the Jews, and they say, it's our job to help them. They're 300 miles away. They can't just ship things to them. They're going to have to step into this with their time, with their resources, it is going to sacrificially cost them something to help these people out. And they think that right away. 
There's no pause. Well, that's a drag for them. I hope they figure it out. They say, what can we do? Who can we send to bring aid to these people? Because we see ourselves connected. We're witnessing something unprecedented and very powerful. As we face our own questions about how to help, this example should be regularly before our eyes. We, we should have this mindset. What did they do? How did they think? Whatever the Christian response is to COVID-19, it should be one which all Christians can join in. It should be one that we can see ourselves as connected and participating in. The spirit was given so that the individual believers and still more the believers when joined together for this corporate worship would take up their responsibility as God's eyes, as God's ears, as God's hands, as God's feet, and to do what needed to be done in the world. It's almost as if I could just imagine someone asking them, you know, well, why do you think this happened? Like, what does that have to do with what's happening here? Why would you care about what happened and not more concerned about what is happening and what needs to be done? Why don't we think forward of kingdom mentality? And I'll tell you why I think we'd think that way. I think that we become so ingrained with this thinking that God is bringing judgment, that God is here to either get people to accept him and go to heaven or bring judgment to the world and it kind of all go to hell in some great tribulation that it's not really paramount in our thoughts to step into the problem that's going on right now because we see ourselves distant from it. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. Jesus never saw himself distant from the people who were hurting. Instead, he had empathy and he wept with them. Anything that removes us from the hurt that people are experiencing is removing us from the character of Christ and the will of God, which is his kingdom and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, as the father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus said that to a small group of people who were locked in and afraid, right? After the resurrection, what were they doing? They were all afraid of what was going to happen. They were all shut in. They didn't want to go out. Does that sound familiar? And Jesus tells them, as God sent me, I'm sending you. Where are you sending? You're sending us out into that world that's dangerous. How can you do that? Follow my example. Jesus' example took him to the cross. You see, the revelation of God takes us to this point. The point of God's kingdom is being launched on earth as in heaven. And the way it will happen is by God working through his people like he did through Jesus, who is our example. So often people want to look out at the world and these disasters and wonder, why doesn't God just step in and do something? Why, 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 they ask, does he permit these things to happen? Why doesn't the Lord just send some kind of lightning bolt to strike down whatever the problem is and make things right? And the answer is God does. He does through his people. He always has, and he's going to continue to do that. We are the ones 
who are going to do that. He sends the poor in spirit. He sends the meek. He sends the mourners. He sends the peacemakers. He sends those who are hungry for justice. They are the way God wants to act in the world. That's what Jesus was grooming his disciples to be. That's why he gave them the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't just some moral code that they were to follow. It was, this is your life, and this is how you move forward in this way. The answer is that God does send lightning bolts, human ones. He sends it in these ways, and they're more effective. They're more effective than lightning flashes or or actual strikes, right? They are to use their initiative. They are to see where the real needs are and to meet them. They, They will weep at the tombs of their friends. They will weep with those who weep and they will rejoice with those who rejoice. Some of them are gonna get hurt. Some of them will be killed. That is the story throughout the book of Acts because that is the way of Jesus. And for some reason, we have pulled back from stepping into the problem because we think God is here to take us away from it instead of change it. These people, prayerful, humble, faithful, will be the answer. Not the question why, but the question what. What needs to be done here? The question who, who is most at risk here? Question how can I help? The question who can go. God works in all things with and through those who love him. And that's going to be part of what we talk about next week. N.T. Wright suggests that from the time of Jesus onwards, we see Jesus followers telling people about God's kingdom and summoning them to repent, not because of any subsequent events such as a famine or plague, but because of Jesus himself. Repent because you need to start following Jesus. Turn your life so that it's not just living for yourself, but it's actually living for others. Even the book of Revelation, which is actually entitled Revelation of Jesus the Messiah, is about Jesus himself, right? It's not about what God's going to do at the end of the world and judgment. It's actually a revealing of who Jesus is and what Jesus was doing and continues to do. The victory of the book is already won on the cross by the lamb who was slain. It says that from the very beginning and says that throughout the book. And the way this victory moves forward in the book is by the suffering of the witnesses of the lamb who follow and who knew that the suffering was not Jesus's alone, but it was theirs too. And I think we've lost that. We don't see suffering as a part of our calling so many times, but it is. The way this victory moves forward is in the suffering and witness of Jesus and following in his steps. And that's why Paul speaks powerfully about that in Colossians chapter one. He says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. Hear that. I make up in my body what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Who would dare say something like that if there wasn't something that we were to grab from that, 
right? For the sake of the body, which is his church. In other words, I am continuing what Jesus showed me to do in my own body. Why? Because Jesus could do it at this time. I can do it at this time. He's not saying that Jesus' death was insufficient. He's saying that his death is continuing in him and his life. Again, Jesus is central. The, the death of Christ is proclaimed and seen before the world. Sometimes by extending help 300 miles away at their own peril, at their own expense, and sometimes visibly through their own suffering. And so I want to urge us at this time to fight back the temptation that comes that wants to focus and settle on the why and the blame, that that wants to go to criticizing others and what people are doing. I want to take away the temptation that looks about the things that have happened and doesn't step in to the things that are happening. I want us to pivot our lives. And the first pivot that needs to happen is to be that of Christ that actually cares, that is actually empathetic, that actually will go and weep with those who are hurting, that will actually step into the pain that is happening around us and not the blame. The transition, pivot our thinking instead of why to what. What can be done? Who needs our help? How can we help? Who will we send? And remember what it will cost. I don't want to be safe. I I don't want to injure anybody. I don't want anyone to, because of me, contract COVID-19. But I don't want to live separated where I don't help anybody. I want to be wise in what I do and how I do it. But if I see the church and what they did, my example, like Jesus, isn't to retreat to safety, but it's to ask those questions. What can be done? How can we help? Who can we send? Right? There were some people who could go, who could make the journey and travel. There were some people who could help because they could financially support what needed to be done. There are some people who couldn't go because they physically weren't able. All these things have to be wrestled with. All these things have to be gone through. But we cannot just blame and sit passive. We cannot just ask why, wonder, and do nothing. We cannot just look for a day when we get to all get out of here. No, the kingdom of heaven is pressing in and is pressing in through the people of God who are moved by the spirit of God. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. Uh, it's, it just snowballs into this, into Romans 8 where we have the groaning of the earth, the groaning of the spirit, our own groaning. What are we groaning for? Who are we groaning with? And where is that groaning taking us? And I want you for homework to read chapter eight of Romans and especially Romans 8, 28. I want you to look at the margins 
of the NIV or the RSV. And what it says about that verse, all things work together for good to those who love God. Instead of to those, there's a word that changes with those. That can change everything we see about our role in this world. That it's not, I have some stoic attitude about all the things that are happening, but I have an active role in all the things that are happening. I am a participant Why? Because I am with Christ. He has given the baton to us to follow in his steps. And it's an exciting and scary life. But it is not passive. It is active. It is dynamic. May we step into the dynamic life that God has for us as his church. May God give us wisdom how to do what needs to be done in a way that is effective, in a way that cares for people, in a way that protects people, but in a way that is obviously for people. Let's pray. God, may our minds be changed from maybe the way we have thought our role is to be to the way you have exampled our lives to be. Lord, I I pray that I be more like you in these things, that I be more dynamic in how I move forward and how I live. Thank you again for your spirit's work in our hearts. Illuminate our understanding. Help us, God, we pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name. May we not look back at what needs to change, but may we look forward at what can change. And may our steps follow Jesus to weep at the tomb of our friends, the tomb of our community, at the place of pain where we can bring healing. God bless you guys. Love you. Hope to see you sometime soon. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.